Yo, what is up, my friends? My friends, my enemies. It'd be interesting to know if any enemies are listening right now. But you know, wherever you're at right now, your car, whether you're listening to, to this through headphones, your your speakers, your Bluetooth speaker, whether you are gay or straight, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, male, female, overweight, underweight, healthy, unhealthy, Democrat, Republican, left hand, right hand, coffee drinker, non-coffee drinker, I don't care. I hope you are doing well. I really do. I really do. I was thinking about Enneagram the other day. My wife's really getting into it, and I actually am very interested and intrigued by it all, but I don't... I, my knowledge barely scratches the surface, shall I say. Now, I know that I'm a nine. That's for dag, I'm sure. That's clear. And I got some one tendencies for sure. I got that from my mom. But I feel like I have a calling. Let me tell you what my calling is. I'm psyched. I feel like I need to learn the first nine numbers, have a very thorough, exhaustive knowledge of the first nine because I feel God has laid it on my heart to go ahead and create Enneagram number 10, 11, and 12. I'm psyched. That's a really big deal. It's a really, really big deal. So hopefully, hopefully by the holidays, I, I want that to be like my Christmas present to the world. Hey, I'm looking forward to you hearing this episode. I really, really, really like our guest. She is cool. She's the kind of person that I want to be rubbing shoulders with. You know, not the the hateful, the other side, I hate sort of person. But just kind of a, you know what? Love is going to have to win. That's the only that's the only way we can make some progress with all this divisiveness divisiveness is is love. Regardless of how hateful other people can be, you can't win by returning the favor. You know, you just can't. You can't, you can't, you can't. Real quick though, wrapping up December, we are partnering up with DonorSeed.com, you guys know this. Y'all have heard me say it before. But we have one more opportunity to support a young man who wants to further his education and doesn't have a lot of the financial resources to do so. And we're, we're not talking college. We're, we're talking the, the bare essentials here. And so go to PW, I'm sorry, go to DonorSeed.com forward slash PWNA helps. And go ahead and check that out. Would love to have you as a contributor. And my patrons, any increase that you make to your giving as a patron, I'll reach out to you and see how much you want that increase to go towards Donor C. If I don't hear from you, it's all going to go. The whole increase will go to Donor C. And for those of you that are not patrons, come on aboard. Come on aboard. As as low as a dollar, we'd love to have you. Have some good conversations, and we all get to pitch in and help this Donor C outfit out. Also on Instagram, go check it out, PWNA Pod. There's a survey there. It may be three graphics back, but I'd love to hear from you. We talked to my friend, Amy Alderman, who is obese and 
I'd love it's just an intriguing subject, honestly, and I'd love to hear some thoughts from you guys, some of you who are obese yourselves as well as those who are not and just how you view. It's like a five sur- five question survey. Love for you to take that. Would love to collect that information to be honest with you. To be honest with you, I wonder how many times I've been dishonest with you. And we also have Facebook discussion page pastor with no answers discussion group that's in the show notes join us join us join us and hey our patrons you are going to be gifted right around the corner with a live q a with one of the theological contributors to the 1946 movie and i'm looking forward to that we'll give you more details soon right now though we got rocky Rocky Rogio. God bless you guys. Peace. Listeners, I'm going to give you a little thought experiment. And this is this is basically for Christians. I mean, most of my listeners, you're you're either a conservative Christian, liberal Christian, deconstruction Christian, used to be a Christian, but some sort of Christianity. So here's what I want you to do. If you're a Christian, I want you to have this thought experiment. So whether you are a gay affirming Christian, not a gay affirming Christian, confused about the whole gay discussion, bitter about it, whatever. I want you to imagine something. What if we have gotten it wrong all of this time as far as our interpretation of Scripture when it comes to same-sex relationships? What if we have been wrong about it being wrong? So I just want, seriously, I want you to ponder that. I want you to really think about that. I want you to think about like what what that means, like trace that back the, the the past few decades and just think about the the LGBTQ plus community. Think think just seriously, think about this. And so I want to bring on on our uh, our guest who would say that we have been wrong all along and she is actually making a kick-ass movie. It's called 1946 The Movie. And first of all, Rocky, to have that name, you have to be kind of badass. Like you you can't just be called Rocky and 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 not you've got to meet that somewhere. So do you are, are you wearing that well? I mean, your name is Rocky for crying out loud. I hope so. Well, my birth name is Sharon and uh, I'm one of four daughters born of a non-denominational minister in uh he, we have South Philadelphia roots, and so Rocky is a bit of a nickname for, you know, Rocky Balboa. Yes. My dad always wanted to name one of his sons Rocky, and I'm the closest to a boy that he ever got. So <laughs> it's a little bit of a slap in his face for being a gay pastor's daughter, a uh, lesbian pastor's daughter, but it's just a bit of a nickname uh, that has been with me for a long time. So. <laughs> do you, do you, uh, never I, I was going to pick, well, I'll pick at your dad a little bit, and then you can tell me later if, if you're mad about it. But what if, what if he, he he's thinking, God, I, I asked for a kid that I could name Rocky, but I, did I not specify male? Exactly. No, for sure. <laughs> did I mess up the prayer somehow? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'm definitely, uh, you know, 
a, a strong daughter and uh, one of his, you know, uh, biggest challenges, I would say. But uh, we love each other. I'm actually born on his birthday, too. Our birthday's December 1st. So Dang, me and my daughter, yeah. same thing. August oh, 15th. Awesome. August oh, cool. 15th. Yep. Yep. Very cool. Yeah. So you and I have talked, you and I have talked a good bit and I actually do want to get into a a little bit of the relational stuff with your father because I just, gosh, talking to you was so refreshing and I don't expect, and, and, and can, is it okay if I use gay as a catch all or do I need to say LGBT? And I, I, I mean that, like, I don't know, like, can you say gay or is it proper to go through the LGBT? To be very PC, LGBTQIA is more inclusive of everyone in the community. Uh, I do still say gay or lesbian and feel fine identifying that way myself. But I usually just say LGBTQIA just to be inclusive. But I feel there's grace, I hope, at least within the community as we have this conversation and be fluid uh, as much as we are in our sexuality, right? Be fluid yeah. with the with the language and understand that we're talking with the best intentions. So. Yeah, and that's what really stood out when I when I talked to you. And and what I was going to say is, I don't expect all of the LGBTQ community to to be this way. Like this isn't like this standard that every you should all be this way. But it is super refreshing to talk to someone who has, I guess. It, it seems, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you have moved beyond a lot of the bitterness and anger and you're able to have a loving relationship or, or it, it seems as if you and your father have a mutual love and respect for one another. You and I talked in depth about some some people that we, we know that's not gay affirming that you still spoke highly of. Like that, that to me makes you a, a unique voice. And again, I'm not saying that's right and everybody else is wrong, but it, that that is unique about you. I mean, how, how did, did it take you a while to get to that point? Oh, absolutely. You know, and as much as we started this podcast with saying, you know, we may have had the interpretation wrong or, you know, the language in the Bible is wrong and we're challenging uh, scripture, we're actually challenging the translations, uh, not challenging scripture, but the translation in the scripture. And so within this debate, you know, there are, there's victims on both sides. The pain goes both ways, right? So, you know, as much as people who are trying to understand this from the conservative side and have pain, there are people in the LGBTQ community who don't feel included in the conservative Christian space or in a church space that feel excluded. And how do we come to the table and how do we actually have dialogue with one another? So this whole approach in this film and in this dialogue is an academic, theological, relational approach that states facts and goes into um, actual details and again, academic and theological interpretations to get to a not, not an us versus them where we can actually just say, Hey, let's look at this and let's wrestle with this together. And really, you know, let's see what an LGBTQ Christian looks like and what they've, what their journey has been to get to this place. And then as far as the relationship with my dad, who is writing a book right now on why homosexuality is a sin, he will be featured in our documentary as a non-affirming Christian and why he is firm in his conviction and in his stance you know, but there's a lot of power and forgiveness. And the only way that we are able to even really be an influence to one another is to continue to have a relationship and there's love there. So, you know, there's freedom and forgiveness on both sides. And then 
that affords us room for positive progression. Yeah, 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 totally. So I this obviously is not the case for everyone that is not gay affirming, but I, I think we're living in a day and age where if you were to explain the the basis of this this film go into the interpretations and and how they've been wrong and and basically i don't know if the right word is convinced but basically one people over i think most people that are not affirming would be beside themselves joyous like most people that i run into that are not gay affirming it it literally is i can't help what the bible says like i'm not homophobic phobic i like i i they legit have gay friends like not just saying they have gay friends but they and and they just can't get away from what they see scripture would you agree would you agree with that that most people would be happy i i hope so you know and i think it's really the difference is in the language and what we are presenting is the language and what all of the previous translations before this mistranslation, which is the word homosexual appearing in the Bible for the first time. Um, 1946. Right. 1946. And so the difference is, is condemning a group of people with an orientation versus an act that has a victim or consequences that are negative. And so when we look at what these Greek words are, Malakoi and our Sinekoitai, what do they mean individually? And of course they can't be conjoined together to mean homosexual. How did this translation happen? So we basically go to the root of how, why, when, who made this decision? So we get to the bottom of that. And then from there, trace how the translation ended up now in nine different verses throughout scripture where it just doesn't belong. It started in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 in the RSV, 1946, New testament translation and then has now uh in the 2000s is in nine different passages uh and so we can see how this has created anti-gay theology how this has changed the dialogue of sex education in the church how it's actually changed how we talk about um sex in the church it's also um bred organizations like the American Family Association and, um, you know, focus on the family and different yep. ways that people have to bring in, quote unquote, family values right. and what that means defined within the church, yep. which has completely changed and has um, elevated since the 70s. And the whole purity culture that we saw in the 90s, all of this stems from this mistranslation that separates people with an orientation and puts us in a category of murderers and thieves and adulterers and all of these slanderers, characters that just don't represent right. someone who was born with an orientation. Yeah, yeah. You, and you'll, people like Preston Sprinkle would agree that the right. translation is 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 not correct, and the word homosexual is a mistranslation. Now, Preston and I would disagree as far as like the affirming side A side B dialogue but there's room there and so i really appreciate his perspective and actually voicing that to help people at least take a step back and have an aha moment and say oh wow this translation thing is really interesting we should look at this yeah yeah so so i let you in on kind of some some inside scoop of something that happened and curious i'm curious what you think about this so 
a few years back, I'm not with Bad Christian anymore, but a few years back we were planning a conference and one of our speakers was Preston Sprinkle. We had reached out to many men, many women, gay, straight, black, white. We wanted definitely a, a good diverse mix of speakers. When we reached out to folks in the LGBTQ community, many of them, well, I'll I'll say, let's just say around two instead of many, (laughs) around two of them legit said they do not feel safe to speak at that conference if Preston Sprinkle is is going to be there. I'm like, I'm curious what your thoughts are on on a statement like that. Well, I mean, there's just been so much damage done, again, to both sides. The pain goes both ways. I can't stress that enough. Um, But yeah, absolutely. We don't feel safe in those those environments. And the, the, the church is, you know, there's so much fear around this issue and so much misinformation that divides us. And I honestly believe that foundationally, we as a church, as, a, as, as Christians, have it wrong foundationally on what the church is and the scripture is really supposed to be. We have made it an exclusive uh, club. It's a tribal thing where really Jesus, it's an all-inclusive. And so I think foundationally we're messing it up. And, and so when we mix in throughout history, we always have to have another. And it's very easy to put LGBTQ and sexual minorities in that other category. And so throughout history, we've seen um, others and the way, way that the Bible has been used to condemn other groups of people. Uh, and there's a long list of others. And so yeah. as we're taking this misinformation and building off of fear, you know, it, it, it's very easy to then have it in us versus them. Yeah. Where it shouldn't be that way. That's not how Jesus wants it to be. Yeah. You know? So yeah, totally, totally. And so I, I want to get to your story here in a second, but you'll get a kick out of this. So I was doing a little bit of research and it's, it's, it's basically seven verses that are in question or seven passages. Is it seven or six? Well, it's really six clobber passages, six. but again, it can go up to nine. Like, gotcha. um, uh, there's one, if I don't have the research in front of me right now, I'd have to yeah. pull up the email and I can forward it to you that yeah. we're all nine are listed um but like in deuteronomy and in kings and in um uh jude i think it's jude where they talk about the the angels and sodom and the gomorrah and they go back and strange flesh right yeah um one of the translations uses homosexual there they use it in the sodom and gomorrah story and the levitical passages um yeah well you'll get you'll get a yeah you'll get a kick out of this so i typed in uh biblical passages on homosexuality and I, I i found a website and you'll never guess there's 13 of them rocky 13 now now listen listen to what one of them was this is a verse that condemns homosexuals i am the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt out of the house of slavery you shall have no other gods before me <laughs> I was thinking, like, uh, are there, like, rainbow worshiping? Like, is there a rainbow god that people are else? Like, oh, my gosh. Like, I really couldn't believe it. The, the title of the article was was 13 verses that condemn homosexuality. And, oh, my gosh, that's you, you got you to gotta kind of roll your eyes with a smile on that one. Well, what's interesting through the research, you know, uh, the mistranslation happened in 46. 
We found letters that show the translation team admitting their mistake and changing wow. RSV in 1971. But meanwhile, there were three other translation teams in America working on their version of the English Bible that wanted to compete and have, you know, uh, the English version of the Bible. They were the Living Bible, 1971, the New American Standard Bible, 1971, and the New International Version, 1978. And they all used the RSV as their root Bible. And by then we have the women's rights movement, sexual revolution happening. And so they see homosexual in 1 Corinthians, not knowing what we found at Yale University at the archives through our, the RSV translation notes, showing that they had made a mistake. There's no Google, there's no communication amongst the translation teams, and it was very easy for them to then plug it into other places. The new international version out of these three um, is the most egregious, putting it in six different ones, but then we can start tracing after the 80s, it starts becoming malice. It still is kind of like, oh, this makes sense, homosexual, and then they start throwing it in, you know, Leviticus and Romans and all these different things. But by the 80s and 90s, we see the translation teams actually stacking the deck, to support their one man, one woman doctrine. Yeah, yeah. So snapshot, what, what in that Corinthians passage, what is Paul trying to describe? If, it's, if, if he's not describing a mutually consenting sexual relationship between two males and two females, what, what, what is he saying? Sure. So the interesting thing here is the word arsenokoitai and the definition of the word. And people think that Paul coined the word. And that's neither here nor there. It's how the word is used. And the way to find out the definition is, uh, is it in a dictionary, lexicons? It's not. But how is it used in other sentences? Well, it's only used maybe like 100 times. But we found it, uh, you can find arsenokoitai in sin lists that have been documented during the during the um, time period. And what's interesting is our sinicoitai is always found on the economic sin list and not a moral sin list. It's not a sexual morality issue. This is an economic, exploitative, there's always abuse of power, there's always an age differential. It's either um, pederasty, Yep. temple prostitution, but it's always exploitative and always has a victim. And so that's the arsenokoitai, right? And so the malakoi, that word is easier to find because it's used multiple times throughout history and throughout the Old and New Testament. And it means many different things. It can mean to be like a coward, to be like a woman, to be weak. Um, so basically you're not fulfilling your roles as a man in society. And one way that you can become malakoi is to be tainted. And you're basically, you are the passive participant in the sex act. And so the arsenokoitai is the, uh, is the, um, <clears throat> if you're not the passive, you're the, um, the aggressor. Yeah. You know, and so, so the, um, the malakoi is the one who's either been raped uh, the child in the pederasty situation or is using it for their own gain where they're using the sex act to elevate their status in society. And this is very typical of the time. And, yeah. you know, so yeah. these are the things that are going on. This has nothing to do with orientation, has nothing to do with, and, you know, and honestly, if you are coming down to this, to homosexuality as a sin, then you have to say that heterosexuality is a sin. You know, uh, you can't just you can't just put a scientific term and label um, how you identify 
somebody's orientation and, and put it into a sin category. It just right, right, yeah. And, and I think I think most Christians would say that the orientation isn't the sin; it's acting on it. I think is is what they would say. Well, we still have to look at what what these sex acts are in these Bible verses and what's going on. Again, it's always something with a victim that is not loving, consensual, mutual, relational, you know? Um, and so when you look at the themes of committal relationships, there, the LGBTQ Christian holds those standards to the same regard as a heterosexual Christian, yeah. you know? And there's no reason why they can't apply just because the Bible is written in a one man, one woman type um, if, you know, seen through a lens of those binaries, we also know that the world doesn't work in binaries. There's male and female, but there's a spectrum just like night and day, but there's also dusk and dawn, you know, um, there's land and sea, but there's, there's always something in between. And so we don't operate in binaries or so the, the world and the Bible is way bigger than that. Yep. You know, it's, it's, yeah. It's written for us to look at metaphorically, to get to those the proverbs in a relational way that we can put them into our current existence in life, and they're very applicable. It's amazing how they're timeless, right? right? And so, but if we're not contextualizing consistently through the scripture, then we're picking and choosing, and we're creating another, and we're making foundationally uh, the idea of the church foundationally exclusive and not inclusive. Yeah. 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 So my wife, she is, I would, I would put her in, she, she's kind of on the other side of the bitterness towards non gay affirming, but she definitely went through a season where she just had zero patience. And I think, you know, if she was here, she would agree almost zero grace for anyone who wasn't affirming. And, and I, I had to, you know, I, I grew up as an evangelical fundamentalist. She had kind of a more healthy Lutheran upbringing. And I said, Priscilla, you don't understand what's going on here. Like a, a parent of a gay child in the evangelical community, they literally are afraid that their child is going to go to hell. Like that, that is what's in their mind. Their mind isn't, typically well i'm sure it is for some but their mind isn't typically oh that's disgusting it's oh my gosh this is my child we have to fix this because my child can't turn their back on god and to be gay they have to turn their back on god and if they turn their back on god they're going to go to hell so i'm i'm curious did you see that play out in your relationship with your dad and and maybe even take us earlier like when did you start to realize that you were gay and in the christian circles that you were in How'd you process that? I mean, were you scared to death? I mean, what was going on? I mean, I always knew that there was something different. I didn't really know it was same-sex attraction until high school. But as far as the parent having that legitimate concern, it's very real. And being a pastor's kid and growing up as a pastor's kid um, and having to be an example, right, in the community and an example in the church um, was difficult within itself, but then knowing that I just didn't really fit in with this one man, one woman kind of doctrine. And I'm like, well, who am I going to marry? This just doesn't make sense. It just never fit in until it finally clicked when I, you know, kissed a girl for the first time. And then, well, you know, 
then the rest is history. But my parents had suspected that I had been dating this girl. And so because they were concerned for my eternal soul, my dad took it upon himself to read my diary. And he justified the invasion of my privacy because he legitimately believed this. And so my motivation for this film is I've had these verses used against me, specifically 1 Corinthians. And I'm like, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. These verses don't apply to me. And so I know who I am and I know my relationship with God and I know my relationship in the world. And so having these verses used against you by the people that you love the most who are telling you you're going to hell, you can imagine is quite traumatic. So we have to do better on both sides. We have to create a dialogue where we're not, our parents aren't scared to death and they can actually, and for an LGBTQ person, have options outside of this because we can have healthy, mature relationships that are monogamous and pleasing to God and pleasing to the community and beneficial to the community and not put in a mandate of uh, celibacy, which is not a mandate from God, you know, that yeah. that's uh, just seems torturous and ridiculous, right. you know, right. and people like to say, well, why was that man born blind for the glory of God? Get out of here. Right. So I, I'm, I'm now supposed to take this lot and be lonely for the rest of my life. That to me is heterosexual privilege speaking. Right. And, you know, people need to take a step back from their own priv privileged reality to really examine this because people are torn and hurting on both sides. And yeah, right. we don't feel safe to come into churches. Yeah. And, and, and the church is turning away so many beautiful souls that can be such assets to the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for for me, the wheels really started to turn, and I'll, I'll make it. I I already told you this, and I'll make it short because our listeners have probably heard it. But when I was was friends with a woman who I feel sought God more than me, knew the scriptures more than me, and was at peace with her sexuality, and I was like, "Good Lord!" Like I I'm I'm done being her Holy Spirit. Like, like that was when I kind of raised the white flag of, I, I'm, I'm certainly not unaffirming, but I was still kind of confused, I would say. And I think with what you're doing with this movie, it, it's a game changer because it, it takes, it takes the emotion out of it. It takes some of, for some people, they truly are homophobic, you know, and I think that's based probably at a, at a root with how, how they it's were raised and, they don't right. even realize. Exactly. Exactly. But but this what this movie is doing, it's a total game changer. It's like, no, 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 no. It wasn't in scripture. That no, no, no. Back up. That's that what you thought of in scripture that was condemning, that is not the case. And golly, I, I sometimes wonder, like, do you think, God, why why didn't you why didn't you make this one clear? Like why why was there any room for this sort of misinterpretation because it's affected so many people at such deep levels? I ask that question a lot, but I think once it clicks and once you get it, you can't go back. It's almost like, you know, um, once it's, it's, it can't be unseen and it's pretty obvious. And, you know, it's like, it's like when you look at a slave owner, right. And they have these slaves and in the gospel, it says, 
to a, to a Christian slave, slaves obey your master. So as a Christian slave master, of course, I'm going to want all Christian slaves because then I'm, my overhead's going to be, you know, less. They're going to, exactly, right. it's going to just be right. so much easier for me. But at what point do I, as the, as the slave master, see the same Christ in my slave, you know, and realize that, that hey, there's something wrong here. And so the ba- Bible challenges us to look at these things. And again, we're, it's, a, it's a historical document and really, you know, historical fiction, because all history is historical fiction, right? But, but it's a historical document that tells us what was going on during that time. And we, again, have to see it for that time. And then how do we apply it for today? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I think it's quite clear yeah. once you see it. Yeah. You know, I was thinking as, as a, as a father to, uh, 14 and 12 year old girls and then 10 and eight year old boys. Like when I started this having kids thing, I was fundamental evangelical. These kids, if I, if I'd never changed in my thinking, these kids would be raised to, to, to know that being gay is we love gay people, but it's, it's not okay you know, hate. I mean, the the oh, I almost cringe with the whole love the sinner, hate the sin sort of thing. And I, I I've been wondering about this future generation and how how the church doesn't really stand a chance, honestly. If if there's if there's no change in this, and and what I was thinking, I was like, you know, even if the church, so for for me. It's at at the very least, it's gray. Like, you know, I'm 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 more on your team here, but at the very least, let's admit that it's gray. And if it's gray, let's start with grace that we are accepted into God's kingdom, regardless of who we are and what we do. It is totally by grace. And for parents that may be on the fence, I think we all need to take the posture of it's it's at least gray for me. It starts with grace. I'm going to be affirming, and, and, and here's why I say this. If you look back in the Old Testament days, God literally changed the rules with divorce. So if you want to make a, a moral mandate on divorce, then you would also have to say that God was immoral for making amends back in the Old Testament. So it's like if, if our priority is love, and it starts with grace. What what do we even lose with being affirming if we don't understand? And I would say what we lose if we're not affirming is we lose a generation of people that would love to follow the loving God that Jesus represents and, and that Jesus is. They miss out on all of that because this younger generation, e- even if being gay was a sin, this younger generation sayonara to the church. I don't want any, I don't want anything to do with that. And so I, I just wish that I I wish that all churches would first of all be educated. And I think that this documentary is, is going to go like go far with, with doing that. It, it admit that this is not an essential and it's also, it's, it's not, it's not black and white and, and let that be a starting point and we'll be able to show through scripture that it, this isn't a moral issue. You right. know? And again, we can have committed monogamous relationships that are pleasing to the community and pleasing to God 
there's no reason why we can't get educated and have a healthy LGBTQ community within the church. Yep. And, and gay people exist. We're going to exist regardless of what the church is doing. Right. And things like, things like um, in his image, that movie that just came out with the American family association is, yep. you know, they're going to lose that because they're, they're, you know, I mean, talk about lack of humility. There's no, room for the church to be wrong every single time they make a claim that the bible says this they have to second it with and this is the traditional teaching of the church and they have to second it with that because they know that there's they're stretching it and they don't go into all of the scripture and every scripture that they mention in there they mention um you know there's the scripture if you read further they talk they start talking about sexual minorities and eunuchs in matthew um Uh, Matthew 12, and then in Isaiah 51 or 53, I think it is, you know, and those are verses that they they mention in their film. But if you read on, they talk about sexual minorities. And in Isaiah, it talks about the eunuchs being greater than sons and daughters standing next to the Lord, you know, and so... And, and and it's interesting when they ever they whenever the Bible mentions eunuchs, they're always coupled with the foreigner, you know. Yeah. And so we're all one in the kingdom of God. And I don't think Christ said anything condemning about the LGBTQ community because there's nothing to condemn. Instead, he said, you know, some are born this way, uh, plain and simple. Uh, there's no way to deny that. Another thing that was completely escaped in the film not only can we show you know in their lack of humility that the church has been wrong in these cases the church has absolutely been wrong in many cases galileo is one case in point where he was thrown in jail from his scientific finding you know and so the church had to apologize later um but they also left out galatians where it says that there are neither jew nor gentile nor male nor female and so when we say we're made in the image of god you know and we're made in their image it's not a male figure image that we're made in the image of god it's there it's plural what does that mean and wow. the fact that genesis 1 and genesis 2 are two totally different stories so they're holding on to this one man one woman doctrine and complementarian you know ideas that were started in the 80s to combat these culture wars of sexuality and the LGBTQ community trying to affirm their equality and place in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Yeah. Golly, that's good stuff. Yeah. Priscilla, my my wife, she slaps me on the wrist when I go this direction because it insinuates being gay as, as being sinful. But this, this is, this is strictly for people who do believe who who are not affirming i it's it is so frustrating because there's not a realization of of just how all of us live daily as free people but also in sin like i worship the god of comfort like i i i like being comfortable i i, I you know we we give money to people that don't have as much, but still we could probably do more. I mean, there's, I, I'm constantly battling worry. It's like, golly, for, for people that say, okay, being gay is a sin. And so you can't eat at the table of communion with Christians. It's like, dude, check, check yourself here. But you know, that, that, that's, that's mainly for that, that posture. I'm curious, have you had any personal relationships with with these two types of people. First of all, uh, 
a, a gay or somebody LGBTQ that thought that it was a sin and was resisting succumbing to their their natural sexuality and you were able to help them see and change their mind and have you talked to a straight unaffirming christian and helped them to see their mind changed um i can't really think of any direct instances in this case um i know indirectly though we are making an impact like we get messages constantly where yep. people are, 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 you know, I, I've been praying about this and looking for a sign. And then I came upon your film and wow, this is amazing. And this is parents and people in the LGBTQ community, you know? Right. Um, and then as far as, you know, people that I might not have personally influenced, but people who have had that experience in our film, the guy at Oxford, who was so compelled enough to ask this question, who made this mistranslation and spent tens of thousands of dollars collecting Bibles and lexicons from multiple languages from all over the world to really examine the translation history to get to the bottom of it. You know, he was, he put himself through his own conversion therapy and was a missionary in Japan for many years and, you know, grew up in a very loving Christian home, not, wasn't abused, you know, was very normal and God loving and, uh, you know, just had this same sex attraction that he, that tormented him for many years. And he literally was prepared to take his life if he couldn't find evidence scripturally to support that it is okay to have a same sex attraction. Wow. And so his name's Ed Oxford and he's the guy who, who is featured in our film. Yeah. Uh, and so he's a strong case, you know, and where he was so convicted with this, that he has dedicated his life to answer this question. And yep. so we'll hear his story in the movie. Awesome, um, awesome. Well, talking about the movie, we're you know we're we're all gonna sit down for forty five minutes to an hour and a half and and watch a documentary that's been put together, but it didn't take that long to put everything together. Like I'm I'm curious, like what all is involved with a, a project this big? Like it, is it like your full time thing right now? It, I mean, there's is I quit my job about a year ago to do this full time and have been self investing and have been gracious enough to have donors that have been supporting us and supporting me and getting uh, to this point. But two years ago, I started this journey when I first heard of this mistranslation. And again, I've had these words used against me, these verses used against me, and it clicked. It clicked, you know, as soon as uh, there's now physical, tangible evidence through letters written from a young seminarian to the head of the translation team, asking him, why did you make this decision? And I believe that it's incorrect. And here's why. And he challenged the translation team. And then the translation team wrote back and said, wow, you put together a really great, you know, um, argument. We need to look at this. And then they, they voted on changing it and they changed it from homosexual to sexual perverts, which is still a bad translation, but it's better than categorizing a group of people and instead, again, condemning an act, right? So as soon as I heard of this, I immediately was like, wow, I have to tell this story. Now, a little bit of a backstory. I was in the audience that day with my mother and my father, and I was already filming. I'm, I'm a filmmaker already, and I had just learned of Kathy Boldock and her work. And she's the another lead researcher with Ed Oxford who went to the RSV translation team and, and discovered this and has been doing other work around this issue. And so when I first discovered her work and my parents were coming into town the same weekend that she was 
teaching a six hour seminar, I put the whole thing together and just filmed it on a whim, not really knowing the depths of their research. And then when I heard of this, these letter exchanges, they found the man who wrote the letter. His name's David. He's living in Canada. He's a retired minister. And at 20 years old, he felt a call to be a minister and he struggled and he asked God, first of all, he had a stammerer, he couldn't speak. And then, you know, uh, he had the sexual orientation and he wrestled with it and he had a conversation with God. And through that experience, he believes like on the road to Damascus that he had an experience with God that took his stammerer away. And the first time he spoke, he spoke beautifully and he goes, well, I guess God's okay with my sexual orientation because he didn't pretend to be anything other than who he was. So he knew who he was. He was studying Greek and Hebrew. He's in seminary school. He's used to the King James version. And then he reads the RSV one day and he's like, neither the homosexual. This doesn't make sense. And so he spent the next like eight months of his school working on a rebuttal. And he wrote a three page single space letter with an appendix, super well written, quoting all of the previous translations and what those words, you know, had meant and changed how they've changed over time to get them to subsequently change it. And he's alive. So I immediately have stopped everything that I've been doing to tell this story. It's a fantastic story. And we've interviewed David. We've been to his home in Canada. Um, He's had a beautiful ministry where he's helped so many different people. And so we'll get to meet him as well in this film. Like, do you, in the back part of your mind, do you think, man, what if God uses this to change church like to change the body of christ for the long haul like what if this is a world changer we believe it is you know and so this is 60 years after this man wrote this letter and he almost forgot imagine being 80 years old and retired i get a phone <laughs> call at nine in the morning from a woman in reno saying did you write a letter to the back in 1959? don't hang up don't hang up the phone this is not a prank you know yeah. and he's like, well yes i did you know and um and now after interviewing him you know he says something amazing he's like you know i always felt that i was called into ministry despite being gay and now looking back at my life and my ministry i know that i was called into ministry because i was gay yeah and now is the time and now is the time where you know where we know more uh through science and we know LGBTQ people and our understanding is more. And so it is time for the church to, to know more and do better. Yeah. Now, why, why are you including into the conversation naysayers? Like, is this to build credibility with an unaffirming audience or is this to expose them? Like, obviously you're talking with your dad and and you and I have talked about some other people that could potentially represent an, an unaffirming, like what's, what's your angle there? Yeah, no. So, you know, um, knowing both sides, having come from a conservative background and being in the LGBTQ community, I understand the pain on both sides. And so this project needs to be handled with extreme finesse and grace for both sides. And again, that fundamental foundational understanding that this is an academic, theological, relational approach. This is not a propaganda film. This is not an us versus them. And so we would really love to get a secular audience, a Christian audience, a conservative Christian audience, and people who are on the fence, 
you know, affirming, non-affirming Christian audience and the LGBTQ community. So we can all just understand, I mean, the Bible impacts the entire world. Christianity is a third of the world's religion, you know, represents a third of the world's religion. The yeah. Bible is the most published, most important book in the world. Yeah. So this impacts how we create laws, how we, you know, uh, look at equality issues in our culture. And so this impacts everyone. And we want to not have it be, you know, as much as the Bible is awesome and it's great and it is definitely an examination into scripture, right? This is a historical relational piece as well. And uh, again, very, very timely for the entire world to see. This is an international piece. So you, you, you mentioned that you want this to be something that, that non-Christians would digest as well. I'm curious, do you think that they would come away with a more compassionate view on why Christians have believed how they've believed? Like, is, is that, will they get that from the documentary, potentially? That's a really interesting question, and that would be super hopeful. You know, Christians have a really bad reputation, and it's not surprising. Again, because foundationally, I believe, is flawed. Because when you immediately put up walls and you immediately have an us versus them mentality, which I believe the church holds, it it creates these barriers. Uh, And so if we can all come to an understanding of how we got here, right, then maybe we can all have a bit of grace for every, every party involved. So yeah, that would be wonderful. And then, you know, the, the whole idea of Christians being persecuted or once LGBTQ people get their rights, you know, then the church is going to have to mandate marriages and things like that. I think that's ridiculous. I think that institutions should be able to hold their, hold their own standards. And if you don't want to marry a same sex couple in a, in your church organization, that's different than somebody buying a cake, a wedding cake in a, in a public establishment, right? right. Uh, and so I believe that we can protect those kinds of religious freedoms, just as we want to protect all religious freedoms. That's what this country is about. Uh, yeah. And so I think that the poor persecuted Christian thing is a myth. And we want to break that as well, because we don't want Christians to feel that they're going to give up their convictions, because the culture is winning in equality. Yeah. That makes yeah, sense. So, so, so that you, you sparked another question. So I lied here as far as that being the last question, but so, so if you came into contact with a pastor who said, Rocky, wow, it's been good talking to you, man, you know, let's keep in touch. This is, this is great stuff to, to think about. And, and, but you know, just so you know, like I, I, I still feel like the Bible does, does not, give the thumbs up for LGBTQ and I, you know, I can't marry same sex couples like you, you wouldn't see that pastor as like, that wouldn't be, would you have any anger or just complete understanding? No anger at all. What I would say to that pastor and to anybody who wants to hold an establishment, you need to make your bylaws clear. There, there can't be a, you know, we want to welcome you and recognize you and, and see you with radical love, but there's a, level, you know, of participation. There's a ceiling there within your, you know, it's a welcome, not equal kind of thing. Uh, 
Yeah. And so if that's the case, it needs to be stated. Otherwise people are spending and investing so much time and becoming part of a community just to find out that they're not equal in those spaces. Right. right. So be transparent. And then, yeah, of course we're all, you know, and then let's wrestle with it together. Let's keep talking about it, but yep. just be transparent. Yep. And there's an organization that we did an interview with a while back that they, what, uh, they actually call churches to make that clear. Um, uh, church clarity, church clarity. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Definitely. And there, there's another organization out there as well that they do the same, but basically um, you're able to rate the churches and whether or not they, they are affirming or side a side B, but most importantly, if they're ambiguous or not. Yep. And if they're, if they are ambiguous, chances are that it's one man, one woman doctrine. Uh, yep. And they still want you to come in the door. So ask, but right. um, uh, again, I would just make it clear as a organization. Yep. Yep. All right. So the timeline on this people, you can go to 1946themovie.com. What if the word homosexual was never meant to be in the Bible? Rocky, when is this coming out? There's obviously some trailers at this website to go check out and people can even get involved in this project. Absolutely. There's a couple ways to get involved. So this is an independent film. I have been self-investing myself and we've had some generous donations that have come in to get us through most of principal photography. We still have about 25% of the movie to film and we're starting our offline edit now to be completed within a year. So we have about four months of still some filming to do with a couple subjects. And then we have, uh, you know, the next nine months with our offline and online edit. But it also, you know, it really, to complete the film, it's either time or money. So we do have a GoFundMe campaign up right now because we do need help to get through post-production. Yeah. So if people wanted to give, they could give through our GoFundMe. If people wanted to be an organization represented with our film, there's a way that you can be a sponsor and that's all the on the website as well. And then we do uh, advertising trades together. And then there's also a way to give through our fiscal sponsor and it's a tax deduction through Women Make Movies. All of that is on the website. So if you want to get involved and help us financially, great. If you want to be on our team, send us an email. We've got many ways for people to help. So again, it's either time or money or volunteers. We have uh, a lot of volunteers who are helping us complete our goals. Um, Other than that, our goal is to be completed post-production by the end of August, 2021 to then submit to film festivals for 2022. And hopefully the film will be released in 2022. Awesome. Awesome. Gosh, that sounds cool. All right. So are you, if if you are, you're going to be my new best friend. Are you, are you a fan of the Rocky series? Wait a minute. What is the Rocky series? Is that like, like, wait, is that like the guy? Italian Stallion, Rocky Balboa. Oh, that Rocky series. No, I'm not actually. Well, because I'm like, is he talking Rocky Horror Picture Show? So I get Rocky and um, uh, Bullwinkle, right? Uh, Yeah, you are obviously, if if Rocky Balboa wasn't the first thing, then you. (laughs) 